Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 8.55am. 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au if you're listening online. My name is Kate and today I'm joined by Terry and Christine who will be interviewing Hannah, a young woman who has experienced bulimia nervosa. Bulimia nervosa is characterised by repeated episodes of binge eating followed by compensatory behaviours such as purging or vomiting. Some of the content on today's show may be upsetting to some. So if this, is, if this may be a trigger for you, we recommend that you tune out now. Okay, ladies. Okay. So, Hannah, when you were younger, you were diagnosed with a serious physical illness and the treatment of it led to significant weight gain. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, Sure. So, firstly, thanks for having me on the show. (laughs) Um, So, when I was about uh, 10 years old, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Um, So, I was in and out of hospital for about four to five months. Missed a lot of my last year of primary school. Um, eventually they figured out what was wrong with me at the children's, um, but the treatment was actually pretty full on. So I had to do six months of chemotherapy and then I did, um, I think it was about three years I was on medicinal steroids. So the actual side effect of the medicinal steroids is that you just gain a lot of weight. Um, I'm talking, I gained maybe 20 kilos in a month. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. And a lot of it's water weight, but it just looks terrible. I actually remember I was leaving the hospital. I was getting discharged finally. And my nurse said to me, you know, are you worried about kids bullying you? And firstly, I thought that was a weird thing to say, but I was like, oh, not really. Why? I hadn't seen a mirror in two months, mind you. And I got home and it was just the biggest shock. I looked like a completely different person. I looked like I had eaten myself. It was just double the size. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you were a little bit older than that, so we're talking, that was about when you were 10, 11. Yeah. Uh, you were diagnosed with major depression and anxiety. And how did the physical illness that you had, that autoimmune condition and its treatment with those steroids and so on, how did that contribute to the onset of the anxiety and depression? Um. So I think I was I became very aware that I was depressed and obviously very anxious when I was 15, so five years after that. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was that I felt like I had lost all control of my life. I, you know, was in and out of hospital every week, every two weeks. If I had a cold, I was in hospital. Continuing from... Yeah. So it was pretty full on and... It's not. It wasn't even the disease so much anymore. It was all of the side effects. So I've got impaired kidneys. So, you know, I've had to get tested every week. For, sorry, every month for that. Um, you know, I've got high blood pressure. I had impaired lungs. It was just the results of the initial onset of the disease had just sent my life into a massive spiral. And you know, going t- into high school, especially, nobody really understands that because obviously nobody else is, has has gone through the same thing that I did but I kept it very on the down low because I was kind of ashamed of it it was I almost felt like I wasn't supposed to be in this world because you know 
I couldn't understand why someone so young had had so many terrible things happen to them. And it was that realisation that just made me think, you know, what's the point of being here? And that's where the depression really started. Wow, that is a lot to go through. Hannah, did your depression and anxiety affect your eating habits? I'd probably say that my anxiety did more so than my depression um, because actually no, the both did because my depression would make me want to eat more because I was, you know, sitting at home a lot of the time. I wouldn't be at school and there's really not much else you can do. Um, but like I said, you know, once I felt that I lost all control, my eating habits started to get progressively worse and I think that's how I fell into it because I felt like I did have control over it. Mm. And um, so it became disordered around that time. Are we talking around 15 or so? Yeah, about 15, 16, probably, probably more so 16, later years of my um, high school. All right. Yeah. And, and the early um, symptoms of that disorder? Um, I think it was guilt was probably the first symptom that I had. I felt guilty every time I would eat. It could have been healthy food, bad food anything I just felt this incessant guilt that I shouldn't have eaten it and I I don't know I just kind of exactly how Kate said I just started compensating for that guilt that I was feeling of Mm. eating food that I felt I shouldn't have. Mm. Um, So Hannah when did your eating first become disordered? Um, So yeah definitely at 16 um, once I started getting the onset of those symptoms, I my behaviour definitely changed. I was binge eating a lot and then I started um, vomiting the food that I was binge eating and then, you know, I would when I wasn't vomiting, I had to think, oh, maybe I can take a laxative so that, you know, tomorrow it'll be out of me or, you know, I'll take a laxative now so I can eat again in a couple of hours and then I won't need to worry, you know, it's it, take one, give the other kind of thing. So probably around 16, yeah. Sorry to answer your question. Yeah. And um, as your bulimia worsened, what kind of behaviours did you move on to? So it was a... I had a diary, had a food diary of everything I'd eaten. Um, But my bulimia was kind of uncategorical in a sense because I would have times where I would either be binge eating a lot or I would be restricting foods altogether. Um, So I would go maybe one or two days of very, very minimal foods. Um, And then when I was eating that food, I was vomiting it or, like I said, taking laxatives. Um, But it was mostly vomiting, probably every meal, every second meal that I had, if I had the opportunity. Um, But, yeah, those are probably the biggest. And, I mean, you'd already had a diagnosis of depression and anxiety, so were you getting any support during this period? Um, I think my eating disorder, I, I've kept very on the down low. Nobody really knows about it. I think I was just very embarrassed. I had a lot of support for my um, depression and anxiety. I had a psychologist who was extremely helpful, um, and I only really opened up to her late later on in our sessions. Um, yeah. And at school as well, you know, we had school counsellors and I did have a support, um, like a teacher for support because I was missing so much school. Yeah. Um, but they weren't so much focused on the fact that I had an eating disorder or that I had depression, more so the fact that I had been missing these massive chunks of school and I needed a way to kind of rectify mm. that. 
So there was a lot going on. There was, you know, the weight gain because of the treatment from your autoimmune disease. You know, you then began to experience the depression and the anxiety. What do you think were some other factors that contributed to you wanting to really control your eating? Other factors, they're a bit difficult because I feel like it's it was a bit of a whirlwind. A lot of things were going on at the time. Um, I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of family and I was talking about this before, but going to an all-girls school, being in an environment where you're around so many, you know, gorgeous girls, everybody's really wonderfully tall and thin, you know, my, um, sorry, what am I saying? My um, chemo actually stunted my growth. I've had a bunch, like, I've got my nose is a little deformed because of the disease and things like that. I was Looks never... like a great nose to me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it stopped it in its tracks, but... um. Things like that, like, I'll never really get back. And I think I was very upset that, firstly, I felt that I was short and I was stubby and I was gaining all this weight and I just was the most, to myself, the most unappealing, unattractive person ever. So I don't even think it was the... I think it was a mixture of everything, but also just the way that I viewed myself was probably the the worst thing that kind of sent me into a spiral. Mm, so... Um, do you think the unrealistic media portrayals um, could have been, you know, contributing to you having a poor body image? And do you think it influenced, you know, the development of your illness, your bulimia? Yeah. I think um, I definitely have a very different view of media portrayals of um, women now. But, yes, back then, you know, I'm an impressionable teenager and that's all the rage you've got all the celebrities looking beautiful and I think that's something you aspire to um and I think that would have had a like an influence on how I wanted to look but I don't think it really pushed me to get to that point I think it just it's it was an aspiration yeah more than anything yeah Hannah people with bulimia usually you know go to extreme lengths to try and hide their behavior so that it's not noticeable at all would you say that that was something that you also did yeah for sure so I used to vomit a lot in the shower, so probably the least um, acoustically easy way for people to hear me, if that didn't make sense, but yeah. Um, So the shower, whenever people went home, you know, if I'd be out for dinner with a group, it'd be just a quick run to the toilet, things like that. But I was never open about it whatsoever. I don't think a single person knew as it was going on. Today we're talking to Hannah, a young woman who has experienced bulimia nervosa. Back to you guys. Okay, thanks very much for being here, Hannah, and for the first half, and um, we're looking forward to the second half. I need to say to our audience that she's a stunningly beautiful (laughs) 20-year-old, so what you're hearing her say is very different from what you actually see in person to this day. Okay, Hannah, um, eating disorders have serious physical consequences and sometimes can be fatal. Were you aware of those sort of risks and the the potential complications associated with bulimia? Uh, I don't think at the time I was that aware until I kind of started experiencing it because I was never really, you know, we never really had sex. Uh, we did have sex ed, but we never really had um, like a mental health kind of subject in school where I learned about all that stuff. So... I think as it started happening, I was becoming more aware of it. It's probably what scared me to kind of cool off every once in a while. So it was, um, it was a good pause. Um, so 
you know, I was saying before that I was getting broken capillaries around my face because of all the pressure um, from vomiting. Um, I had very distorted periods. Um, I had very, like, acidic gums and teeth, um, stomach pain, things like that. Mm, yeah. Very, very painful. Yes. Well, there are so many misconceptions about eating disorders. In particular, people, I think, um, commonly believe that eating disorders aren't serious because they're, they're, it's something that's within your control and it's a choice that you make. What would you say to people who hold those beliefs? I think you have to look at it just the same as you would as an addiction. You know, I would go... I, I was fully aware that it was not good behaviour and very bad for me and probably wasn't even helping me lose any weight, so wasn't that beneficial to me at all. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I would have days where I'd think, okay, I have to stop, like, this is bad, I'm getting sick and so on and so forth. But it's just that guilt and that feeling that you have to do something that keeps on driving you to do it. And it's just a repetitive addiction, like I said. So, you know, saying that it's not a mental illness is completely wrong um, mm. because it is it's not normal or healthy behaviour and it needs to be treated in a way that is that is an illness and, you know, it needs to be looked at as, as an issue and not just something that people choose out of vanity. And um, so you might want to tell us a little bit more about um, what drew you to it, but um, certainly the research is indicating that it can give people a sense of control. Did that help you that that sort aspect of it yeah well of course because you know I had doctors controlling all my treatment plans and I had teachers controlling all my you know things I did in school my assessments when I was coming what days I had off and I had my parents uh you know spoon feeding me medications every day every night and essentially I had nothing left that I really had a choice in because I had all these other routines that I was involved in that it was either really life or death. Mm. And it's just something that I had not, I had to do, but I, I felt was helping me have a sense of reality because otherwise it was just, you know, I'm this young girl and I'm in hospital. And then when I'm not in hospital, I'm in school and nobody really understands and there's nothing I can do about it. So it was just something that I did as as a way of thinking, okay, well, I'm still here and, you know, I, I have control over something. It may not be a good thing, but it is my choice at the end of the day mm. and this is what I've chosen to do. Mm. So before the interview, you mentioned that um, body image and weight is still something that, you know, concerns you. But despite all of that, you're sitting with us here today, you know, you've managed to develop, you know, a healthy lifestyle, healthy eating behaviours. So what is it that you're doing differently now and how has your thinking changed? Um, honestly, I think it's growth. And I think there's a reason that the statistics points at, point at adolescence being diagnosed widely with eating disorders. And it's just that time period and your life and the way it is structured. I think it has a massive role in in the way you view yourself. And you're very impressionable. You're a young girl you know, you've got all the media portray media portrayals, um, you know, uh, in front of you, and you've got all these other pressures. So I think being that age is definitely one factor of it. So as I kind of grew up, I started realizing, well, you know what, I can put all this energy that I'm putting into something maladaptive and do something positive with it. Although it didn't really work 
instantaneously. You know, I started over-exercising for a while there, so there was that aspect. But slowly, slowly, with help, with therapy and just willpower, really, I had to get over it. And I think um, once I realised that I could put all of that time and all of that energy into, you know, meal prepping and going to the gym and going outside, like just physically leaving my house helped me a lot. Um, so that's probably what the differences are. I just kind of realised, well, you know what, I can, all this energy that's making me feel terrible and not helping me even lose weight, I can put into something that um, is is doing what I want it to do. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Positive thinking there. <laughs> and... Um, what do you think are the most important factors contributing to women and men's perceptions of their bodies? I think people need to realise that they are who they are and everybody has different ways of losing weight, gaining weight and everybody, honestly, as long as you are healthy, you should love yourself. And I always put it in the analogy of Victoria's Secret models. I always used to be envious of these models and at the end of the day, now, I look back and I think, you know what, these models are paid to do that. They spend numerous hours a day in the gym they have chefs they have people that monitor them that is how they look the way they are and it's not realistic for people to look that way you know my day life is to study and that's what it is right now you know if I was to be a model and I was to have the same lifestyle that they have I'm sure I would look the same hopefully (laughs) yes wouldn't we we all (laughs) um what do you think help promote helps promote a positive body image I think that's a tricky question because it's still not something that is very widely promoted just as yet. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, all the media campaigns of, of including people who aren't just size sixes or size zeros and wherever you're listening, um, so that there are different body shapes and body types represented helps people realise that, okay, it's normal to look like this. I don't have to have tiny hips and a thigh gap and... Things like that. So I, I think, um, I just think it's important to realise that life is so much more important than just the way you look. Absolutely. And um, given what you've learned through the experience of um, recovering and working through the issues around having bulimia, what advice would you give to women and men who are dealing with eating disorders? I'd probably tell them to seek help. It took me a while to get to the stage where I was ready to seek help Um, but I think you know really putting yourself out there and even telling a friend or a family member is a massive step I know it's something that we all regularly try to hide very well but just being open about it makes you kind of think okay maybe this isn't the right thing to do if you repeat it back to yourself and you're very aware of what you're actually doing is the first step of realizing I have a problem and you you can find ways to help yourself and fathers to help you Fantastic. Mm. Going back to, um, you know, therapy and how that was very useful for you, what would you say was the most useful skill that you were given to be able to deal with your bulimia? Um, I never really got skills for bulimia specifically. Um, Look, I had a lot of of internal issues that I never even realised, so I think actual CBT and just being able to talk about everything that I didn't even know was there was was a good release um, because 
you have all these things subconsciously that you don't even know are affecting you or making you sad or, you know, making you do things that you wouldn't usually do. And in order to move past that and kind of, one, forgive yourself and forgive everything else that's happened to you, you have to talk about it and be open about it. How often were you seeing your counsellor? I was seeing about once a week for a couple of years. I still see her on and off. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I have a bit of a down stage. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Um, what advice would you, what other advice would you give to someone who's listening that's really struggling with, you know, eating and body image? Is What would you like to say to them? I guess it just, it gets better. And I know it seems like you are doing the best thing for what you want right now, but it's not helpful and it's not healthy. And there are so many better ways to feel good about yourself. And, you know, if you can, it's really difficult, but if you can shift your focus into even taking little steps and, you know, maybe not doing it as often. So instead of doing it twice a day, you're doing it once a day or you know, every time, like I know for me, every time I'd see a toothbrush specifically, I don't know why, I'd have the urge to want to go vomit. And so that's just something I had to, like, I went and got a new toothbrush, different colour, different, I think it's your, your kind of, what's the, you're conditioned, sorry, you're conditioned to, um, to be used to it and be comforted by it because you have all these other things going on. Well, I know at least I did. And so you just have to get out of your comfort zone and try to change your behaviour. That's it. It's it's getting all the help you can and doing what you can for yourself. Good on you, Hannah. Thank you. Yeah, so um, that's all we have time for today. Um, a huge thank you to Hannah for sharing her story so openly with us. Thanks also to Terry and Christine for interviewing today. You can catch more of our shows at our website, brainwaves.org.au, or you can find our podcast on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week for a new episode of Brainwaves. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.